Here's Reinman in the Morning, on demand from 1021 and 105.3 The Shark. Back in October, we had a debate on Reinman in the Morning. Ghosts versus aliens. What seems more realistic and likely and plausible? We got a couple calls, including one from John in Portsmouth, who actually had some direct knowledge with a very famous story. Listen, it just seems to me there was a mailman in Portsmouth. Him and his wife was abducted. Really? They, yeah, they lived on Columbia Street. And I can't think of their last name. His first name was Bonnie. Oh, I, B- Betty, Betty and Barney. I've heard of them before. And so he was a yeah, mailman? And they I, were, a, I believe he was a mailman, and they were abducted I, back in the 60s. Oh, my God. Did, did you know them personally? No, no, no. No, I was a little kid then. Oh, but, but you heard uh, about it. You remembered as a little kid. Was everybody scared? Was everyone running around? Like, what was, was the mail late? Well, what happened? I, 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 I pretty much think they all thought he was crazy. They yeah. wrote a book about it. Right. They had him on Good Morning America years later and the whole works. But, yeah, so you know, you, I, I still don't know if it's true. I, <laughs> and people thought he was crazy because it's kind of ironic, right? Because you're, you're a mailman. You're, you're picking up things and you're delivering things and you're taking them away and it happens to you. Not so fun, huh? Exactly. I mean, he said he went up in a spaceship. He was probed, him and his wife. You, you know, I don't know. Now, but let me I ask you something. You know, I don't... After, after, after they were probed, was there a copay? I couldn't tell you on that one. Mm. I mean, you know, the medical field probably was the best. We also had another caller whom I believe was headed in from his home on the seacoast to his job in Boston, but didn't want to share his name. Hmm. Creepy. Let's hear what he had to say. Well, the whole thing is between the two. I'd be going more between aliens, simply for the fact that with ghosts, I'd want repeatability. You'd want what? Repeatability. You know, like, aliens, you hear so many stories of the same thing, where ghosts, you only see them once. Yes. Yeah, well... And so, if a ghost, if a ghost really wanted to talk to you, they'd sit there for a while. <laughs> so that's what you're thinking. You don't think the ghost might just be busy? Might just have something to do? I mean, you're a ghost. You could go anywhere. So they could, like... You know. No, man, if they, you, see, you see them on those shows and they're like, hey, talk to me. And then they're like, eh, and then they just go away. So you think the ghosts are more scared of us? I think they're just, you know, like I said, I want repeatability. You know, I work in radiation where you can repeat, a, you can repeat it a bunch of times. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So interesting. So, you're, ghost, so scientifically, there's just no evidence. You're, you're on my side. Scientifically, you just, there's no repeatability of the ghost. But, but you think it could be possible there could be aliens, possibly. Well, I mean, you look at the pyramids and you do the math. It's like there's, they'd have to be working all that time. They're at true north. You'd have to look at it and you go, come on. Right. That, that couldn't have been done by humans. There's no way. Let me ask you a question. Say there was aliens. Say we had aliens at our disposal. How quick do you think the parking garage in downtown Portsmouth could be finished? Do you think they could have it done in less than three years if we had aliens at our disposal? Oh, no. That would take at least them another 10 years. Well, this is very exciting. Uh, my guest here on Ryman in the Morning is a good friend of mine, and uh, he is the creator and executive producer of Resident Alien, runaway hit on the Sci-Fi Network, also executive producer for a long time on Family Guy, and he's from here in New Hampshire, from Guilford, New Hampshire. Please welcome to Ryman in the Morning, my friend, Chris Sheridan. Chris, how's it going? It's going great, John. Uh, thanks for calling it a runaway. I'm not sure it's a runaway hit. Well, it's, dude, uh, you got picked up for two know, more seasons. You got picked up for two seasons running, at once. It's got, 
it's got a little bit of a bum knee. I mean, it's okay. limping a little bit at times. I think <laughs> it's, it's running in the woods where no one where no one sees it. I it, think. Tell us about Resident Alien. Like, first of all, tell us about the show. Like, for those because people need to check it out. This is one of the best pilots I've ever seen. Uh, people definitely need to check it out. Um, the, the The premise is pretty simple. I mean, it's and and there's not one we haven't seen before. It's based on a comic book called Resident Alien. Uh, and it's basically about a alien who comes to Earth and, you know, hides in plain sight as a human and observes human behavior. I mean, that's the, the very simple sort of pitch on it. But, uh, but you know, it, it's very, it has a lot to it. I mean, it's, it's very specific and it's definitely my point of view and my voice. And, you know, there's a lot of really great characters in this, you know, a great world that we've, uh, been lucky enough to develop with these incredible actors, and there's some very dark uh, comedy. There's dark drama. Uh, there's a lot of sci-fi stuff, but there's but it's not just for sci-fi people. I think because it's on the Sci-Fi Network, I think people think it's only for you know people who watch you know alien stuff. But it really is it really is for everyone because I think it's relatable in a way that people don't realize that this alien has come here to sort of well. In, in in my version of it, he has come here to kill everybody, and then is starting to realize that maybe he shouldn't kill everyone because he's starting to realize that humans are not what he expected them to be. And it goes sort of beyond being just an alien drama and more about the human experience. And it plays a little bit more like an immigration tale in a way of mm. someone who's new to a country or new to a town or new to a city and just trying to fit in. It's about outsiders, um, and it's all sort of done through the lens of of someone who's been in a family guy writer's room for 20 years. So there's definitely some comedy and, um, but there's really some heartfelt moments and the, the cast is just incredible. And we've had a lot of fun, a lot of fun making it. And this is personal to you because you actually saw a UFO, right? And you've talked about this. <laughs> Tell me this UFO story. I did. I did see a UFO. You know, it's funny because I actually had forgotten. I hadn't forgotten about seeing UFO, but I, I didn't, you know, I was I was deep about six months into developing this with Amblin um, Television before I casually mentioned to them about like seeing a UFO, and they're like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" I was like, "Oh, I didn't tell you that." Uh, but yeah, it was 1997, and I was on my honeymoon in the Bahamas, and my wife and I were on a very very desolate uh, uh, beach where there was, you know, no lights at all, so you could see every star in the sky. It's about 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. And suddenly we both noticed around the same time he was in front of us as we were walking. On the horizon, there was this star that was sort of rising up in the air. And at first I thought, well, maybe it's a satellite. Like you can see those sometimes, but it was, it was brighter than that. Um, and we watched, we sort of looked at it. And I, I said, do you see that? She said, yeah. And we stopped walking. We looked at it. It was very weird. And then it came towards us. And again, this is a dot, a pinhole dot of light on the horizon. Ooh. And within two seconds, it was above us. <gasps> and as it got close, and it made no sound, as it got closer, uh, we could see it was like, and it slowed down then as it got sort of near us, maybe a few hundred yards away. And it went over us very slowly. But it was a triangle with circular lights on the bottom of it, just like, you know, the stuff you read about. Wow. And it had a light on the front that was sort of sweeping the ocean and the beach, almost like a searchlight. Mm-hmm. And at one point, that light sort of went on us, and we saw the flare of the light, right? It literally hit us. Um, and we just were stunned and stared at it and the thing just kept going and made no noise. And, oh. and I, 
we were like, did that just happen? I mean, it was really surreal because you had, you hear about these things, you never really think that it's going to happen to you, and it yeah. it absolutely happened to us. It was incredible. Well, it kind of reminds me of the Barney and Betty Hill thing that happened right here in Portsmouth. Are you familiar exactly with that? Exactly right. Yeah, so I am very familiar with that. Yeah. What's your What's your favorite New Hampshire UFO sighting? Because there's there's so many. I mean, that's a fascinating one. You got Exeter incident. There's been a lot, right? The Hill one, there has been a lot, to be honest. The only one I, and I sort of know peripherally about some, but the only one I know any details about at all of it is the Hill story. And that was, that was a big one. And that's something people should look up, you know, read up on if they can. So that's an incredible story. I think they're making a Netflix show about that, about Barney and Betty. I think so. they are too. Uh, they made a movie. I think James Earl Jones maybe was in it. Um, oh, wow. Back in the day, like in the 60s, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it was, this happened in, it happened in the 50s or 60s, right? Yeah, it was, um, I think, in the 60s. And then, you know, it, they, there was all sorts of gaslighting. I know they were, uh, they were an interracial couple. I know they had just moved to the area. Yeah. And it was like, oh, you guys must be yep. crazy. But it was like they each had very consistent, <laughs> they had very consistent dreams and memories for the rest of their days. And I think Barney was gone before they started listening to Betty. And we're like, oh, wow, this seems pretty legit. Really incre- it really, really is an incredible story. And it, it is really amazing when you think about you know what has happened in, in, in the history of our, our country and the world as far as the UFO sightings and, and the lengths to which the stuff has been covered up. But it is incredible. And now in, in, in light of the fact that, that all these Navy pilots and, and stuff are coming out with saying, oh yeah, UFOs are, t-, and the government now is saying, oh yeah, UFOs are totally real. Yeah. But if you look back to even the Roswell thing, which has been ridiculed and all this stuff, like if you can look at the newspaper from Roswell, New Mexico, the day after this thing happened. And the newspaper headline was that the, the that they found an alien craft with aliens. Like yeah. The government came out, the military came out and admitted it. Oof. And then the next day they were like, oh no, I know we said we found bodies and, and, <laughs> and, a, and a flying saucer with like any bodies. Yeah. It actually was a balloon. We just weren't really looking that it, close. Boy, so, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> but people... People, I think, just bought it. I mean, they, yeah. it, it's like it's it's that subjective sort of want. You know, people didn't want to believe that it was true, especially back then, where our entire country was so was really, really uh, encroached and you know built around this sort of religious philosophy of what the world is, and sure. people were afraid of anything different, and so they, they searched for any kind of proof that that this stuff or, or opinion that this stuff isn't real, and they buy it. I think the opposite is happening now. I think people want to believe it. Yeah. And so they're open to these things. And um, But there's been, a, yeah, with the Hill thing or the Roswell or any time this stuff has happened, you know, come out in the past 60 years, it usually is is covered up. But now it seems to be all coming out. In addition to Resident Alien, you were a writer and executive producer for a show near and dear to New Englanders. Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. Family Guy. How yeah. did you become involved with Seth MacFarlane and Family Guy? Yeah, it's a great question. I was uh, I was out of work. I uh, had, had come off a show called Living Single. I was a writer. Oh, yeah. Um, and Living Single was a lot of fun to work on. I was yeah. there for a few years. And I was out of work for, for six months, and I, and I had had some, some meetings and, you know, uh, staffing opportunities to get another job and, and, and couldn't get another job and and then I, and then it was like middle of June, and at that point, at that time in the industry in 1998, typically all the shows are staffed up by the beginning of June, and the writers are working. So middle of June, um, I talked to my agent, and my agent said, uh, "Hey, there's one show left hiring, and we have uh, one of our clients is on it, uh, a guy named David Zuckerman. 
Um, and he's sort of running it with this, you know, he's this new, this kid from Rhode Island, um, who's like 24 years old. And, uh, it's a, it's a cartoon. And I immediately was like, well, my career is over. Ugh. Like I'll never work again. I, like this is what this is what it's become. <laughs> you know, I had these <laughs> hopes of being on like Frasier and all these great like classic sitcoms, and then this cartoon comes by and it was the only job, and I was so skeptical of it because I was never you know I was not a Simpsons guy. I had seen it you know maybe one episode and I I did not like it. I just wasn't one of these people obsessed with animation. Yeah. Um. So I went in and I met with David, who was brought over from King of the Hill to help develop it with, with this young kid named Seth McFarlane, who I met and Seth was there with his Coke bottle glasses and his weird Caesar haircut and his rugby shirt. And, um, he was like every nerd I knew in high school and he was from Rhode Island. I'm from New Hampshire and yeah. definitely the New England thing. We had a lot in common. Uh, I, I mean, I got, ended up getting the job and have loved every second yeah. and was so lucky that, you know, that I got it. And, I think at the time, Seth was looking for some people from New England. And, you know, Danny Smith was hired, who was from Rhode Island. And, yep. um, and I, you know, we got a kick. I got a kick out of the presentation he had. Like, Peter, to me, was, was every loudmouth dad that I knew <laughs> yeah. from New England. He's, like, every, totally he's every, guy guy this, every guy this morning that's telling us what the Celtics need to do. That's Peter Griffin right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the expert on this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what you need. Uh, and it was so relatable to me. And the comedy was so is the comedy is very specific. I mean, it's it it goes beyond it, but there's something about it that is very New England. It's very it's 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 comedy that comes out of cold winters and yep. humid mosquito summers. Yeah, life is hard. And, you know, it's uh anyway. So I I got the job, and and I mean we were on it you know, 98, 99, 2000, then it was canceled. And then I went off to do a couple other shows. But as soon as I left and got another job, it, it became uncanceled. And they did 13 more episodes right. while I was gone. And then it was canceled again. Um, so then they had 50 episodes and it was dead again. And I was on, I did a show called Titus for a couple of years and I did a show called Yes Dear for a couple of years. And when I was on Yes Dear in the second year, Seth called me and he said, you're not going to believe this. They, they picked up the show again. I said, what show? family guy I'm like well, how could they do that what are you talking about this thing's canceled so then i left he asked if i'd come back and i left uh, uh i left yes dear and um uh went over to family guy in 2004 and then was there another 17 years um after that and just when resident alien went into its second season uh, i didn't have time to do both anymore so i stepped away from family guy but the time was right and but it was it was sad. it was a sad exit, and I exited during during uh, during COVID. There was no no pomp and circumstance, no no sheet oh, yeah. from Ralph's. Oh yeah, it was just I was on a Zoom call, Zoom table read, and they announced, "Oh, Chris has worked here for twenty years. He's done now." It was like <laughs> a smattering of Zoom laughter, and then someone pressed end, and it was over. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. That's, they they deserve to retire your number at Family Guy. I, you you were so nice <laughs> when I was out there. I think it was two thousand seven. And uh, first of all, you got me yeah. a job. You got me one of my first jobs. I was a night PA. I would deliver scripts in the middle of the night. You got me that job uh, with Gary Janetti with a pilot he had going yeah. on. And uh, but one of the cool things was I got to go in with you guys to a table read at Family Guy. Yeah. 
And that really is like it's a once in a lifetime experience. It's like going to see Bruce that Springsteen or something. Yeah, it's right. And just all you and guys. Was, that, was Seth still there? Was Seth, Seth still was there? there. Yeah, yeah. Seth was still there at the time. And uh, Seth Green, I think, came in that day too. Sure. And uh, yeah. Mike Henry. And uh, you had a couple parts, yeah. I think, as well. Uh, I think I think yeah. James Bottomtooth had a, made an appearance, <laughs> and um, it was unbelievable. The laughs in that room it shook. You know, do you, do you miss that now that you're doing this sort of single cam show and it's a little bit darker? You have kind of a smaller staff because it's shorter episodes. Do you miss the laughs? Like I miss the laughs from late night. I just miss that feeling of hearing other people in a big room laugh at everything. It. it- there's nothing like it. I mean, certainly the table reads. I mean, I got spoiled with those family guy table reads, especially when Seth was there. You know, there's a period of time in 2000, well, in 98 to 2000, but then in 2004 to about seven or eight or nine, uh, Seth was there. And then once Seth, you know, started getting his movie career going and had Ted and stuff like that, he ended up being out of town a lot. And then from that point on, he sort of just, you know, called in and, and, and did the voices from afar, you know. Yeah. But having him in the room, there was nothing like it. And, you know, you pack 70 people in that small conference room and the energy was unbelievable. So, and those things were, you know, it's also a family guy. There's so many jokes and there's so many hard jokes and you're laughing, you're laughing incredibly hard. And you're watching this incredible performance by Seth who's doing, you know, 15 characters and bouncing seamlessly in between them. You can close your eyes. And you don't know it's the same person doing these voices. It's just so much fun to watch and all these great other performers and the, the writing was great. And the jokes were great. And it was really, really this this really tight, high comedic energy in there. And so then I'm on Resident Alien now, and we have a lot of comedy in that show, and we have table reads. And I'll I'll go through a table read where where people come out of the table and like, oh my god, that was so funny and it was so good. And all I can think of was I just spent an hour like thinking that I'm bleeding to death. Oh god, yeah. There's jokes in it, but it's just and it's funny, and it, and I'm I'm aware that it's good, but. I just remember that Family Guy energy, and you'll never be able to recapture it. Yet every table read I sit in on Raising Alien, I'm aware that it isn't as funny as Family Guy. Now it's also not supposed to be because we right. have like dramatic moments and everything. But I definitely miss that, and I miss the. I, it's just different in a in a dramatic writers room, and we have a couple comedy writers in there, but it's not quite the same. And we are spending more time talking about serialized character development and emotional stakes and emotional moments. We have characters who reach their breaking point and they're breaking down crying and it's yeah. really gut wrenching to watch. And it's a different, a little bit different type of storytelling. And it's tough to sort of find that balance and that tone with that pairing that with our comedic moments, but to be in the family guy writers room and we would break off and do like little mini rooms. We had so many writers and 20 writers or something. Yeah. We'd be in small rooms with like five or six writers and we'd be there late. Like, especially when Seth was there running it with us and we would be there late. We'd be there till two in the morning sometimes. And, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. You'd be in this room with the six or seven of the funniest people you ever met. And you're, and it's all jokes. There's no, there's no sweet moments really. I mean, it's just, you're, you're just telling ridiculous hysterical jokes the whole time. And I'll never get that back. I mean, that was, there's something really special about that time. Um, and I, I definitely miss it. I you definitely had, miss that energy, and I'm sure, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, well, I say ne- I say never say never. I mean, I say everything's kind of cyclical, and so I feel like yeah, yeah. I feel like we've we've entered this space where 
in television, it's a lot of single cam. It's a lot of, you know, tight shows that come for 10 episodes a year, which means you have a smaller write staff and writer's room and everything. Sure. And then I feel in the audio space, you know, it's been a lot of podcast on demand. I mean, that's what a lot of people are going to be listening to this on for our on demand. And so it's very slickly produced. But, you know, that kind of was that way in the 70s where everything was very kind of just like single cami and sort of everything was very yeah, kind of sure. album oriented. Norman Lear stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden in the 80s, it was like Cheers showed up. And then uh, all of a sudden yeah. in music, Michael Jackson and Madonna showed up. And it was like, no, wait a second. Like, yeah, we want that live audience on the sitcom. We want to go to the concerts and hear these people. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think it's cyclical. I hope it comes back. Um but, you know, I know you're from New England and a big Patriots fan. Were you there when Tom Brady did the cameo for Family Guy? I was uh, I was not there. I was there, but I wasn't physically there. I, the last 10 years or so of my, my time in Family Guy, I was a consulting producer and I was part-time. I was living in, in uh, New England and uh, flying back to L.A. one week a month. So I was not physically there when he was there well real quick but then well that leads me to my next thing but were there any people that came in to voice a part that you just blew you away they were just so funny and nice and memorable that just made your day there was there was there's a lot of people i mean <laughs> i mean I, I again i wasn't there for this but i know gronk yeah was, when gronk was oh, there gosh he yeah fam- famously wrecked the bathroom uh next to the writer's room uh, right after the table read, but before the writers went in, the writers went in and was like, what the hell happened in here? And someone called him out on it, and he was like, and he just laughed. He was like, yeah, he doesn't give a damn about it, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that was funny. Um, a lot of great, Robert Downey Jr. was in there, who mm. was so gracious and incredible, and, you know, that was one of my favorite experiences because I got to, when he was recording, we did this thing that we don't normally do. Like, normally when you're recording these voices, you are... You know, they're just all you're, you have the script and all the all the uh, dialogue is sort of numbered, and you'd have a you'd have a actor come in and they just do, you know, whatever the line is. Hey Peter, what time is it? And they just say it like three or four times. Yeah. You go to the next line. And they say it three or four times. People have this this feeling like if you know, in Family Guy, if there's a scene between Peter, Lois, and you know, uh, Cleveland or something, that it's Seth MacFarlane and Alex Borstein and Mike Henry in the recording booth, sort of playing off each other, and that's not typically how it works. Everyone's right. in there separately doing their voices separately. Sure. But what we did with Robert Downey Jr. when he was in, and I think mostly because I wanted to do it, was I sat in the booth with him and I did the all the other voices in his scene as he was playing his character to sort of help him, you know, just be able to bounce off someone or whatever. Yeah. And that's something I'll never forget. And that was fantastic. And he was great. Um, that's cool to hear. He was great. The other guy, who, I mean, there were so many people who were great, but Billy Bob Thornton came and did a voice. Yeah. He was fantastic. Um, and I remember that we were sitting, it was lunchtime. There was four of us um, sitting uh, in these couches outside where the recording booths are that we have there. Suddenly this guy comes and sits down next to us because he's going to record and he realizes Billy Bob Thornton. It's like, oh. like, And then and I, I told this story before is like there's an energy amongst comedy writers where when you work together for a long time, I'm sure you had this with late night. Yeah. You just can sort of finish each other's sentences. Like yep. you get the bit. Sure. Once someone goes with something, everyone just chimes in. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and so the guy sitting next to Billy Bob Thornton realizes it's him. And we all sort of stop talking and realize it's him. And the guy next to him 
says, uh, Hey man, I've just, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of yours. Um, shook his hand and Billy Bob's like, Oh, thanks. Thanks. And then the guy next to him said, Hey, I'm a big fan. Um, and then <laughs> the next guy says, I'm just a fan. And then I was the last one. I said, I'm sorry, who are you? And to me, it was a very funny, like this diminishing praise. Yeah. Only because the first guy said big, big fan. And the next guy said big fan. And then the third person sort of recognized what was going on. But I thought it was, I always think of that as like, that's what happens in a comedy room where people yeah. just sort of, they get the bit, they get the energy of it. And, and he could not have been more gracious. He's a huge family guy fan. Um, he was, he was so wonderful. He had just come off of that first season of Fargo, which, which he had just done. Yeah. Which he was incredible. And, and I talked to him about that. And so that, that was, that was great as well. Well, we were talking about writers and, uh, obviously it's early and we're all hoping for a positive outcome here of some sort. Uh, the writers guild of America currently on strike. That's halted a lot of production. So just keep it simple. Uh, what do you hope comes of all this? What are you hoping for, for this, uh, work stoppage and hopeful resolution? Yeah, this is never, this is not something anyone wants. I mean, we, we, I was there at family guy when we struck in 2007 and, you know, we were out for a hundred days and that was rough, you know? Um, and at the time, I think back then it was all about this sort of mythical streaming world that was coming and, and the, the studio sort of laughed at it like, Oh, it's why are we even fight for that? It's, you know, everything, it's just like YouTube stuff. And, but you just sort of knew, like you can tell what the, where the industry is heading. And, and we did fight and got some gains there. And thank God we did. Because yeah. sure enough, we, uh, you know, that's all it is now. I mean, over half the writers are working on streaming now. So, um, and this time, you know, things have just gotten worse. I, you know, the, the studios are, are, are look, they're big businesses now. They're, they're not even media companies anymore. A lot of them, they're these tech companies. And uh, they just, they, they're, they're in it for the business really. So they find a way, they just find loopholes to, which I get it, you know, they're about the money and they just find loopholes to sort of try to exploit to pay the writers a little bit. And, and so what has happened, I mean, a lot of things have happened. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of content now, but writers are making less than they ever have Yeah. Um, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, there's a, there's an entry level pay, uh, minimum pay so that, you know, so there's a floor there where, where studios can't pay less than that. And that typically was reserved for, you know, the very uh, youngest writers that come in. And then, sure. you know, each, each year you work, you work your way up and you make more money. And it used to be that, you know, I think showrunners was the highest level, you know, only 2% of showrunners would make that minimum amount, which makes sense. They've been working for decades or more. Um, and now 24% of showrunners are making that writer's guild minimum of entry level pay. Wow. Uh, and it's only getting worse. So writer's pay has gone down. Yeah. Uh, studio profits are skyrocketing because of streaming. Um, and, you know, we just want a fair deal. We want to, you know, we want uh, higher minimum minimums. We want, you know, a minimum number of writers. Are the, the number of writers in writer's rooms is going down. We used to have 8, 10, 12, 15 writers in a writer's room. Now there's shows that have like three. You know, the studios are just looking to do less and less. Um, as far as payment and support of, of writers and get more out of fewer writers. Yeah, I've also heard so, stories that, like you just said, I've heard stories about people that'll sell a pilot, and then they say, we're going to buy this pilot, 
but we also want you to staff on these two other shows. And so it's like, oh, yeah, we're still keeping show sure. staff, but it's like it's sort of an involuntary monopoly for some of these successful writers where it's like, well, I don't need three jobs. It's like, well, you got to do the three jobs. <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, oh, 100%. I mean, it's, it's also like, you know, writers typically are paid episodically, you know, per, yeah. per episode rate. And the industry used to have, you know, in, in success of the show, you do 22 or 24 episodes. But now you're doing, because of the way TV is now, you're doing eight or ten episodes, but you're not getting paid anymore. Yeah. And they're making you work as long for that. Season one of Resident Alien, we did the pilot a year earlier, and then we, in, in that first season, came back and, and did nine episodes. The first season was ten episodes. But the production of those nine episodes, because the pilot was done before we did the, the you know, two through ten, the production of those nine episodes, for nine episodes, I think I worked 65 weeks or something for nine episodes. Yeah. Wow. And it used to be four, like 40 weeks for 22 or 24 episodes. <laughs> so That's unbelievable. You can see, you can see what's happening. They, they just stretch you out yeah. as long as they can. Yeah. Um, and they also, there's just fewer people doing it, right? There's fewer, uh, fewer writers that stay on. So I'll yeah. lose, you know, strike aside if we weren't striking. You know, I lose, you lose your writing staff. We started shooting in January. My writing staff was done in January. Mm. So it was me and one other full-time writer, me and two other full-time writers uh, for about 10 weeks of shooting. And then me and one other full-time writer for the rest of shooting. And then just me for the next four months of post doing it by myself. That's so they, just they unbelievable. Take, yeah. They take all this work and they, realize they can just pay one person to do it all. Now you have showrunners like myself who are working 20 hours a day, weekend, you know, 20 hours on the weekends as well. It's really crazy. Also, but side note, just, just to be clear, we went, we, we finished shooting on May 2nd. The strike started midnight of May 1st. So I did not go into work on May 2nd, which was the uh, first day of the strike. I had to miss the very last day of shooting. Man, Chris and Sheridan I, and his Irish goodbyes. First family guy, now resident. <laughs> exactly. He just never comes in on the last day, this guy. Exactly. He's the real life Michael Scott. More, right? I'm not going in on my last day. <laughs> no, I it's not. Do I, it. We were on strike. Yeah, it's not my choice, guys. Also, yeah. Not right. Yeah. So then also, I can't. Now I'm not. You know, we had to shut down post because yeah. I'm not doing post. Oh, yeah. Wow. Was, was, yep. Mm -hmm. So there, so everything's, you know, we have, you know, we shot uh, eight episodes and they came out great. And I'm so excited to get in there and sort of finish them, but I can't do it until the strike's over. So I was, so I was sort of sitting there. So I was going to ask, I was going, when can we look for it? But it's TBD, right? We're, we're still kind of waiting to see what happens. TBD, they, they haven't been very clear, even even strike aside, when it would air. Yeah. I think if not for the strike, I think it would air. And, and still may be the case this fall sometime, maybe October, November. And it's on demand. But, uh, People but, can go check it out and binge it. It's a great summer binge. I mean, it's just a really fun well, show. Well, that's the thing. I mean... Not, it's on Peacock. Not a lot of people have Peacock, but you you can buy it on like Apple iTunes, I think. And, yeah. um, and if you have Peacock, or if you have if you have cable, you you might have Sci-Fi, and you can get it on demand. I do think it's a good show. I I would love people to watch it because it's. I think a lot of people are scared away by the alien stuff because they're like, ah, eh, it's not really for me. But it but I think it might be for you. It really is. There's a lot of great uh, there's great moments in it. There's really good characters. There's there's. Uh, a lot of really good comedy makes people laugh. Alan Tudyk is the lead. He plays the alien. He's absolutely incredible. He's one of the most talented comedic performers. Yeah. I've ever, that's great. I've ever seen. And, when and I saw you too. cast him, I said, that's it. I said, that. there you go right there. Just a great show. And what I would liken it to, uh, for any 
there's been a lot of talk about Barry as of late, of course, because it's the final season. But if you got your yes. trying to get your Barry fix, go check out Resident Alien. It's a really good, uh, probably not as sad. <laughs> I would say <laughs> the last episode of Barry, man, they were on a roll, and then that last one, I was just I watched it right I gotta, before. I gotta catch up. I watched it right before game five of the Celtics series, and I was just like, well, that was a bad decision. <laughs> I was just like, talk about just a double right. whammy. Had nightmares. I woke up sad. But, oh, no. But on, a, on, the bright, on the bright side of things, you know, we, you touched on this briefly earlier. You did something that's inspirational to me, and I look to you a lot because a lot of the things I've been through the past few years, you went through before I did. Uh, we each, sadly, we lost our dads. Uh, we each yeah. went through a divorce. We each have a daughter that we love. Um, and, uh, you know, just trying to navigate it all and, uh, and trying to keep our ties and our roots in new England. And you, you renovated this, this beautiful barn in Connecticut and, and yeah. how, do, so I just, that's just such an, when you, I heard you were doing that, you're going from, you know, the family guy writer's room in California and you're, I'm going to fix up a barn in Connecticut. And I was like, okay, Chris, <laughs> Chris is going through something. Um, but, but it's, I've seen the pictures I see it on Instagram. It's beautiful. Like what inspired you to do this and, um, how's it feel being kind of based back in new England again? Well, I think the, my decision to come back to new England was the best thing I, I did for my life and, and also for my career, for my writing. I think when you get, I, I do like LA a lot, um, but there's, you live in a little bit of a bubble in LA. Yeah. And I think it was the best thing for my writing to sort of step out of that and, and live amongst quote unquote normal people, you know, um, and see and be reminded what the real world is like. And I moved back uh, to this home that I had bought. It was my grandparents' farmhouse in Connecticut that I grew up as going to my grandparents' house. And um, it's an old farm on, you know, a bunch of land. And it was in heavy disrepair. Uh, and I had bought it when my grandmother had died in 2005, I think. Okay. But then I moved back around 2010 and then I spent about four years, uh, just restoring and renovating, renovating in a restoration way, the, the main structure, um, which was great. So I could live there. Yeah, and I did. And then there on the edge of the, uh, edge of the, there's two barns on the property, one very large barn in the, um, in the backyard, but there's another one that was an old carriage house from the 1800s. That's uh, next to the driveway that was fully falling apart, mm. and I was going to have that, trying to have that restored, but there was too much damage to it. So I had this this company called Country Carpenters um, uh, out of Connecticut. They're incredible, and I had them come, and they were going to restore it. But like I said, too, there was like water damage and ant damage. The thing was just, and the roof was gone. Like so, they came in and they I rebuilt it. I redesigned the inside a little bit, but rebuilt it. Uh, you know, same out, outside. You know, blueprint. Of the, so it looks the same from the outside for the most part, but the inside is, is all new. And, and I turned it into my sort of writing studio, but it's a beautiful pine structure. And, you know, it's, yeah, I, I kind of, when I'm, when I'm at the farmhouse by myself, I kind of live out there. I, look, I, I love being back. I love the solitude. I love the people. Uh, it's my type of, you know, people are funnier yeah. in New England, I think. They've got sure. a different, that, just the, the classic sense of humor that I'm used to, that you're used to. Uh-huh. Uh, I just feel more at home. You know, I like going for walks. I like the cold. Me too. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because yeah. I get made fun of here uh, in, in the studio and in, at work because I have same thing. I love to go walk the beach in the cold in the wintertime. People are like, what love are you it. doing? Absolutely but, dude, it. you get the greatest ideas. You, you go up with a problem, you walk uphill, and then you turn around and you're walking back. 
and everything. So true. You, th- you figure everything out, and I get to my car at Northampton Beach, and I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. okay, good. Time to go to bed. Like, it's just this great thing. Uh, and speaking of which, yeah. um, uh, I know you're t- you got to hop on, and thank you for doing this, by the way. Uh, I appreciate it. You have a, uh, no, a, a Zoom meeting for the Writers Guild uh, coming up in just a few minutes. But before we go, uh, are there any people uh, living here on the New Hampshire seacoast, uh, maybe one or two, that you'd like to send a shout-out to who might be listening to the shark today? Yes, I do. My uncle, uh, Tommy uh, Sheridan, is, is living in Rye with his wife, my aunt Bridget. Would definitely want to say hi to them and, and uh, look forward to seeing them this summer at some point. I, I got I got all the time in the world now. I'm yeah. Um, well, <laughs> you know what? Hey, let me know when you're coming in, and uh, I'll take you down to the beach plum, buy you some uh, some I would love uh, that. Let's rolls. definitely do that. Let's do it. Uh, I would absolutely love that. The show is Resident Alien. Uh, go check it out. It's on the Sci-Fi Network. And uh, Chris Sheridan, thank you so much. We'll talk soon, okay, my friend? Thanks, John. Great Thanks, Chris. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye, man.